welcome to The Voice of the Child. I'm Natasha, your host, and my guest today is Dr. Un Sang Chung, a child psychiatrist at Kyungpu National University Children's Hospital in Daegu, South Korea. Daegu was the epicenter for the COVID-19 outbreak in South Korea and is several weeks ahead of the UK in dealing with the outbreak. As an expert on child welfare and the national lead for South Korea's School Mental Health Resource Centre, Dr. Chung speaks regularly to the media in South Korea on children in the news, including the sinking of the Sewol Ferry in 2014, which claimed the lives of 304 people, most of them children. She is also interviewed by the media about child sexual abuse and other disasters affecting children. A lot of attention has been given to how the virus affects adults, but children have been largely neglected in the research, and so little is known about the effects of coronavirus on children, largely because of the myth that young people are immune to the virus. In this podcast, we reveal that South Korea is experiencing a new wave of the coronavirus outbreak, which began today. We put right misinformation about the virus and take a look at how children who may be feeling anxious or at risk of abuse during self-isolation in lockdown can be protected. Dr. Chung, thank you for coming on to the program. Thank you for having me. A pleasure. Well, Dr. Chung, you are currently working at a hospital with children during the current outbreak of COVID-19. What is a day like for you at the moment? As a matter of fact, uh, just one week after I had been to United States as a visiting scholar and returned to my city, Daegu, the first corona-confirmed patient appeared in my city, Daegu. So suddenly I was in the center of the epicenter of the coronavirus-19. Daegu has been fighting coronavirus-19 for more than two months. I I am seeing the patient, and as a member of Korean Traumatic uh, Stress Society, we have created 28 uh, guidelines for the specific population in Korea as a team just for three days, three weeks. So we psychiatrists also provide telephone counseling uh, for patient living in a life treatment center, which is very new concept because of so many, too many patients to be treated in our city. We uh, divided the mild symptoms patient into the uh, life treatment centers and the severe patient to the hospital, like our hospital, the National University Hospital. So after that kind of uh, systems, we uh, have some uh, smooth way to deal with all the patients together. But even though we have some uh, missed patients who have died during uh, waiting at their own places, which was very uh, sad and made us many ma- many things uh, came up to all of us. But uh, we are dealing our uh, digester in a very creative and very flexible ways. So, what are you seeing in the in the hospitals at the moment in relation to children who are being admitted with the virus? Um, I I am a psychiatrist and child psychiatrist, so my patient uh, already has some anxiety and some depressive mood and some uh, behavior issues. So, uh, they they when they came to us, they are wearing all the masks, but they are um, try to their best with their families. So. Uh, even though they feel a little bit more anxiety and more depressive symptoms, but they try their best with their families because they know 
the situation we are facing right now. Uh, so they have some informations. So they are sharing some information with their family and friends. So they try to behave very well. So I am very happy to see them behave like that. So I compliment them a lot. So with my complete uh, compliment, they uh, cheered up again. <laughs> <laughs> they smiled back to me. So with that, uh, that kind of positive interactions, we are just uh, dealing with uh, this situation together. Mm-hmm. And we were chatting a little earlier before the interview began, and you were explaining that you had some concerns about the way the hospital was managing some of the cases of the coronavirus that involved children. What were your concerns? Mm-hmm. Uh, at first... Uh, in our city, Daegu, Korea, uh, had uh, almost uh, uh, 10,000 patients in our city. So I'm afraid uh, of uh, their feeling being abandoned or being separated. We are alone. But uh, many doctors and nurses volunteered to come to our city and uh, choose to visit here with patient together so we focus on a very positive way and uh, we are very um, developed country uh, in a sense of internet you know so we are yeah uh, we have a lot of uh, high-speed internet so we have uh, 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 connected each other with internet so they uh, with that kind of sns uh, after we have some volunteers from all over the city in South Korea, more positive messages had, had been came out because uh, we are facing a very devast- devastating uh, situation. So uh, our children, our uh, students and our patients, uh, we share their emotions through the internet and uh, uh, as a professionalist, we just uh, keep an eye on their activities. So we try to convey very positive uh, uh, mood and the hopeful messages to them. So uh, we made a very uh, beautiful picture card containing some messages. So we put on that kind of very beautiful and simple and uh, readable card on online and give uh, spread through the SNS. So that, uh, by those kind of activity, we would like to keep our children safe physically and at the same time psychologically. That sounds really positive. But Dr. Trung, just a month ago, South Korea was experiencing what was by far and away the biggest coronavirus outbreak outside of China. But the government then implemented a maximum action policy to stem the spread of the virus. And the policy appears to have been so successful that the World Health Organization said South Korea's model was one that the whole world should copy. Could you tell us a little bit about the maximum action policy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the best way for us uh, as uh, Korean people to deal with the Corona-19 virus outbreak uh, is to share the transparency. We share the uh, new information as fast as we can. 
and we uh, deal with uh, uh, correct information. So if there are some rumors, as a government and as a professional, they deal with that kind of rumors and bad news and the first fact uh, at the same time is spread. So the transparency and the sharing the information is the best way to put the fire of the bad news and new rumors. So that's the the one of the our strategy to deal with the outbreaks. The second one is uh, keep the society cooperate together. There is no uh, buying and holding the daily necessities in Korea. And we have a very developed online system and delivery system. So we have some belief uh, other people doing their own jobs, even though this is not a very good time. So we have that kind of uh, belief in others. So the government uh, makes some system and uh, let the people as soon as possible know about that kind of new system so uh, interconnectivity and the transpa- uh, transparency and the uh, networking systems makes us uh, new build new this kind of very good systems in a democratic way i think we're also reading here in London that part of the success is also down to um, mass testing of the population, using that data to uh, target clusters of outbreaks uh, and also quarantining people immediately as soon as they appear to pose a risk. Do you think that's been successful? Yes, of course. Uh, after uh, we experienced a MERS uh, a few years ago in 2015, we have a MERS outbreak here in Korea. So uh, even though some professionals have some uh, uh, have been uh, criticized uh, during the MERS outbreaks, but they still stick to their jobs and they didn't give in. So because of that kind of experience, the government accepted the new technology as soon as possible they approved that kind of uh, new technique so we adapted a new technique very fast so that's one of the reason for us to uh, make some good system for the test and the second uh, uh, reason is our hospital adapted a new way of examination you heard about have you heard about the drive-through testing technology? Yes. My hospital, yeah. Gyeongbuk National Hospital, yeah, adapted that uh, theoretical uh, yeah, concept to the real world. So we invented that kind of new system and applied, and everybody tried their best to adapt the uh, another way of new thinking to build another uh, safe systems. And the, the third one is, the third reason for that, uh, we have a, a national government insurance system. To send the doctor is very cheap, and the, there are uh, a lot of professionals all over the nation, and they are just to be near at you. So they believe in the medication and the medical systems, every single citizen. So, and the uh, government paid the 
fee for the testing, even though they are Koreans or foreigners. So that's another way uh, for people to cooperate to the test because it is free. And there are all over the uh, place we can have the test. So that's the, uh, the, uh, one of the main reasons for us to uh, invent this kind of uh, very good way to handle this. Well, Dr. Chung, you now have uh, another series of concerns because as you explained to me before we started the interview, South Korea is now experiencing a second wave of the outbreak, which hasn't been picked up on yet by the Western media. So what's mm-hmm. happening in South Korea at the moment with this second wave? Mm-hmm. Uh, today, uh, we have a second wave of outbreak in a, a ha- psychiatric hospital in our city. And uh, the, the, the hospital is now under the court isolation now. And uh, another uh, concern is uh, at the Incheon airport. Yeah, there are a lot of students uh, coming back from the foreign countries as a student. So uh, among the, those students, there are, they came out a lot of positive coronavirus cases. So uh, earlier, they focused on our city, Daegu, but now they're focusing on the Incheon area at the airport. So there are some issues. We have to uh, keep our country safe, yeah, just to shut down our country from the out, uh, abroad. But uh, government still uh, insists on open country. So we have to uh, wait and see, which is very rare for us to do that, but more and more Korean concerned about uh, cases from abroad. So we have to think about uh, new cases from abroad and uh, even the second wave inside our regional societies. So so we cannot uh, uh, be relieved right now, but uh, now we have to prepare, have to be prepared for the next uh, battle, the second battle against the virus. So do you think, in your opinion, shutting down the airports is one way of trying to contain the second wave? Mm -hmm. Uh, So theoretically, it is a very good way to do that. But uh, until now, we accepted the Korean people living in China. We accepted uh, them as a group and we gave them a test and a special facility to uh, to stay uh, more than a uh, quarantine uh, period. But all of a sudden, we well, when we just closed our board, there are another group of Korean people stay uh, living in abroad. So probably the government uh, do not want to choose that kind of uh, options. So uh, as a professional, and I believe the theoretical way is one of the options, but uh, we probably we have to try our best uh, on this situation. So I'm not sure, but probably uh, government choice, we have to follow the policy <laughs> as a citizen, I think. Do you think that we will ever be able to get rid of the virus completely? Mm-hmm. No, I don't think so, because... Uh, we there are a lot of risk uh, of the new virus coming up so 
probably we cannot uh, get rid of all the virus at all. And uh, we have to uh, develop the immunity as a society. And uh, we have to protect the uh, uh, vulnerable patient from the virus. But we have to uh, leave another new routines, not uh, old routines. Old routine life is not anymore valid and reliable. So we have to learn more specific and more safe way to live our routine lives. So that's uh, the way we, uh, how can we deal with the new virus? New virus came uh, in the future too, I think. Well, as you mentioned earlier, one of the ways that we combat viruses is by having up to the minute a high quality information and the latest research available so that we can equip ourselves. So with that in mind, we're going to do some myth busting together. At the moment, um, there's very little information out there on how the virus affects children. They've been largely neglected as a group. So the first myth that seems to be uh, pervading around the Internet at the moment is that children are completely immune to the virus. Dr. Chung, please bust that myth. Until now, the good news is no fatal cases among children in the world. I am happy to know that, but we have to prepare uh, as a whole. You mentioned about uh, we cannot get rid of a virus at all, and we are expecting another virus coming to in the future. So this is a very good opportunity for us to teach our children how to uh, deal with this kind of virus outbreaks. So there is, there is no mortality cases among the children yet, but we have to prepare ourselves to another better with uh, uh, another viruses. So we have to share our information, our experience with the children and we uh, there is no need um, to make panic. So you're absolutely right, Dr. Chung, we should not be panicking anybody. But one of the um, important things about offering information is so that people are aware of the realities of the virus so that they can better protect their children. And one of the things that we do know is that children are catching the virus. They are not completely immune to it. Um, and that they they have been admitted into hospitals with, with the virus as well. Um, so it's important for people to know that children are not immune, just so that they are aware that they need to protect their children mm-hmm. and keep them safe. But mm-hmm. as you said, um, most children manage to fend off the virus um, with uh, very little difficulty. And they are at the moment, as you said, not presenting as fatalities, which is fantastic news. The second myth, however, that is going around the internet at the moment is that children cannot die from the virus. Now, as we said earlier, obviously, children are doing remarkably well in terms of catching the virus and managing to process it with without any great trouble. Um, but it is a myth that children cannot die from the virus. And please explain to us why. I think the first reason for that uh we protect our children from the virus at the moment, so they have uh, less opportunity to contact the virus yet. So uh, we have to keep the kind of uh, dealing with the virus. But as you know, we have uh, uh, very sad cases in our area. Last week, we lost a 17-year-old boy uh, in our area. He did not 
uh, pass that away from the virus disease, but we don't have enough uh, facility to treat him with the pneumonia and with a high fever. He could not get a enough and uh, timely health from the hospital, from the doctor. So that's why he died. He passed away. So even though uh, the virus uh, didn't kill any children yet, if we are sick right now as a children, they need help, but there are no right hospital for them when they are sick. That's why we have to take care of ourselves right now. And we have to prepare not to be sick. So uh, I would like to share this fact with uh, international children. Even though the virus cannot kill you, but uh, this situation can kill you. So you have to take care of yourself. And even though you are not uh, very sick with the virus and we, you didn't notice I am sick with the virus, you can spread the virus to the family and to the friends and to the very loving people around you. So we do not want you are the main reason for them to be danger in danger. So that's why you have to take care of yourself right now. So that's my message to share. So this particular boy who very sadly passed away didn't have any symptoms of the virus. He was just suffering with pneumonia and there was no uh, additional support to help him at the hospital. Is that right? That boy had a very high fever and the pneumonia symptoms. But uh, the first hospital he visited uh, could not accept him because uh, even if uh, he he was the coronavirus patient, the hospital uh, should have been shut down. So for the other patient, because that hospital is not the uh, exact hospital for the right hospital for the coronavirus disease, the doctor could not accept him. So he just uh, recommended him to stay home. That's why the they could not give a, a timely treatment for him. So, and the university hospital, the second hospital, tested him very several times, but no virus came out uh, from the several tests. So the symptom is very similar with the coronavirus, but they cannot decide how to treat him because of the negative result of the test. So the medical steps, uh, have no room for him to be survived. So the systemic failure, I think. Yes. So that kind of systemic failure we just uh, found in the many European countries right now. So that's why we have to take care of ourselves right now. So just taking you back for a moment to the comment you made about the test and it coming out negative and, and therefore there being no conclusive evidence that uh, this teenage boy had the virus. We've been led to believe that the testing kits are always 100% accurate. Is that the case? 
Uh, now I heard that the reliability and validity of the virus test is uh, almost ninety-five percent. But this morning I have been to the coronavirus hospital and interviewed five patients uh, by telephone counseling. One of uh, the patients uh, suffered from the uh, very confusing virus uh, result. Uh, the patient uh, can be released from the hospital when the uh, successive two tests turn out to be a negative. But for that patient, first two positive and second negative, and then positive and the negative. So he has been stressed, stressed out by the result, very confusing and give some hope and take away the hope and giving some hope, they kind of a mixed result. But still, we have to believe the result and we have to depend on upon the test result. So I, uh, uh, I uh, interviewed him almost 45 minutes, five poem. But at the end, I found uh, some strengths among he, him. So he has still some energy. Everything is not perfect. We have to accept that. So, mm -hmm. Going back for a moment to our myth busting, the third myth that we're seeing at the moment is that babies who catch the virus cannot recover. Mm -hmm. uh, to our sorrow, there is some report from the China. Uh, even um, the baby in the mother's belly can um, be uh, infected by the virus. Uh, when they tested the virus titer just uh, two hours after childbirth, the virus has been detected and uh, the immunoglobulin M has been detected, which means they already infected the virus in the belly, in the mother's womb, and started their battle against the virus because immunoglobin A cannot cross the placenta. It's just immunoglobin G can cross the placenta. That means the mother infected and can be also baby infected, but immunoglobin N, which means just the baby infected and started the new batter. So that is a very bad news. And we have to know the fact the virus can infect the, even the infant and even the fetus uh, inside the mother's belly. But the, which was, uh, the, the good news was uh, after several days, six or seven days later, the virus was gone with a test. So that is a good news. I would like to share that the positive portion of the news with you. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic and really good to know. I think people will be encouraged by that. So moving on from children who are happy and healthy and make it through the, uh, the virus if they catch it, um, we're now going to look at the impact of isolation and lockdown measures on children in abusive settings. You are an expert child psychiatrist, so you work with children who uh, experience these things uh, daily. Uh, the question now is, how might abusers use that lockdown period to their advantage? There are a lot of cases... Uh of abused children and uh, usually the child abuser uh, are parents so the the most uh, yeah most of them are their own caregivers so 
when the caregivers has been stressed, the abuse will come more often. So, uh, and uh, in this infectious uh, disease outbreaks, we focus on the social distancing, but that is not the right uh, term, word for the uh, most important way to deal with. Not social distancing, physical distancing. We are connected to each other and we just wait and see and just to keep an eye on the child abuse are not there. But in a social distancing, physical distancing context, the child abuse can happen easily because nobody was there nobody cannot recognize so as a society we have to look after uh, other children in our neighborhood if you have some feelings that in their family the abuse can be happened or can happen or you already know that children has been abused you have to contact, you have to keep an eye on that family. So as a society networking, we have to protect ourselves as a whole. So abused uh, children uh, have uh, are more vulnerable to this uh, situation because they are very anxious. So with their anxiety, more, uh, more and more behavior problem came out. So that kind of behavior problem uh, makes their parent or caregivers more angry. So with angry, the caretaker cannot tolerate the, the problem. So the vicious cycles going on. So you, as a, a citizens, we have to keep an eye on and we know that kind of happening uh, will happen easily in this situation. So we have to share that kind of knowledge. And in terms of signs to watch out for in children who may be being abused during the lockdown period, obviously it will be very difficult for people to detect that because, as you said, most of us will be indoors for the vast majority mm -hmm. of the day. But if, if people do come in contact with children, perhaps at the supermarket as they walk past, is there anything that we can mm -hmm. spot that might give us some kind of understanding or some kind of clue that the child may be in need or suffering? Yes, uh, abused children cannot uh, express themselves very well because nobody uh, listens to their voices. So they don't know how to speak up, how to describe their sufferings. So we have to, uh, we have to be good at uh, uh, nonverbal communications, which means the facial expressions and the fostering and the and we have to feel the sufferings of the children. So when you look at children and they they doesn't look happy, that means they are, they suffer something. So uh, when you see the the kind of children around you, just give a smile back. And uh, uh, as a, with a gesture, you can cheer them up. And uh, the, the powerful way to help them is support the caretakers. 
So during this uh, this period of social distancing, the caretakers felt being lonely or being abandoned, and they're uh, responsible for all everything, including their own children. We when we support them, the energy uh, from us to them and through them, they can deliver to the, their own children. So support the caretaker is very the one of the best way to help the children. So with some uh, mask or items or just uh, one sweet words can uh, relieve them, relieve their anxieties and their panic. So uh, this kind of comments very good. If if you need any help, just let me know. I am here for you and your children. You are doing very good. But you, your children need more support. So you are doing good, but you, you, you have the better support than uh, you make me. Uh, it will make you more happy and make your children more happier. So that kind of good comments and supportive uh, uh, mention will just stop the abuse because they know you are watching them. And it's not just children that that, uh, will be feeling anxious or uh, perhaps a little bit concerned or stressed during this period. It it will also be children who don't come from uh, abusive settings, regular children who perhaps are a little bit concerned about uh, how isolation will affect them during the outbreak. In relation to those children, what signs should parents look out for and, and how can we protect our children as we go through this isolation period? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in this disaster, uh, even I am a professional, I am very worried and I, I feel bad and I feel anxious. That is a very natural consequences. If I am not worried, I am not anxious, that means I am not alive. <laughs> I'm not human being. So we have to accept the natural consequences of this uh, infectious outbreak, pandemic coronavirus 19. So uh, as an adult, if we uh, show uh, our acceptance to our anxiety, acceptance of our anxiety is a good model to our children. So uh, when we are anxious, we cannot sleep well and uh, we cannot eat well. And uh, I cannot uh, focus, I cannot uh, attend my on my readings or my homeworks or my uh, things I have to do. So that is very natural. So we admit that kind of national consequences and uh, let the children know about that. So uh, as a human being, uh, we just uh, try to uh, keep ourselves regularly and very uh, and use our resources uh, call our families and call our friends and share our anxiety together uh, makes us more relieved and more connective. So we have to show our uh, trying to our children. So that's uh, uh, one of the way to deal with, uh, with the children, I think. Children are also going to be feeling very helpless during this time. What can we as parents do to make them feel a little bit more empowered and comfortable during the isolation period? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, Corona suddenly came out uh, and uh, just interrupted our lives. 
so we 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 just lost our routine daily lives, uh, which made us helpless. So uh, uh, the way to regain our control on our lives, uh, we have to choose among something. So uh, to get rid of, of feeling helplessness, you can give some choices to your children. It can be a very small thing. It could, uh, yeah, the small small choices is very uh, good examples. Uh, just uh, asking some questions. Would you would you uh, like to drink something, water or milk? If you do not have milk, do you want to drink cold water and hot water? So <laughs> just small options for them, so they can think. That means they use their frontal lobe easily, and so frontal lobe means you regain rational thinking not emotional thinking so that kind of giving some choices giving some options make your children uh, not helpless anymore and you can uh, paint or draw paintings with your children together oh just pick your favorite color among the crayons so if uh, the children pick up pink oh that's a very good color i like that that kind of supportive comments, mm. that uh, moment make your children not helpless. Just to regain the control control uh, on your on their own life. So mm -hmm. that's such brilliant advice. I will definitely be using the selection game with my son, who is fifteen and tearing <laughs> his hair out. <laughs> so that will be wonderful. I I can't wait to try it. Thank you, Dr. Chung. Well. We're almost at the end of the interview now. And as you are a, a child psychiatrist and you understand children um, intimately, my, my last question to you is, if you have a message for children in terms of how to cope with the outbreak and to build their resilience during this time, what would you say to them? The simple way is no pain, no gains, but <laughs> <laughs> it is so clear to them. So... <laughs> um, uh, as a professional, I experienced a lot of disaster, uh, ship sinking, shower ship sinking accident, and uh, uh, there are some uh, a lot of accidents. We had we experienced the earthquakes uh, here several years ago. Um, I would like to share this concept with the childrens um, after um, handling some uh, severe. Uh, hard waves we we get a life lessons so every single person from their own experience they get a life lessons so just think about what your life lessons right now you have you get so probably they uh, they have many different opinions so as a adult we cannot uh, just to uh, fresher our life lessons over the children's. They have own life lessons and they have uh, their own voices. Just listen to their voices because to get rid of helplessness, let them speak. Let them speak up is another best way to uh, just to uh, have some control uh, on their own life. So let the let children speak and we just listen to their voices. 